Good morning. It's been wonderful to worship with you already today, to study together, and to uh, sing these wonderful songs. Isn't it great as Christians to have something to sing about? And uh, we, we certainly do. And then to hear the very thoughtful words that have been expressed both at the collection and at the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And I think our Lord Jesus has been lifted up, and I have certainly been drawn to the foot of the cross where transformation happens and a great exchange occurs, not only once when we first become a Christian, but each and every time we go back and are reminded of the great wealth and riches that Jesus possessed that he freely gave in order to come into this world and to lay down his life in order that we might be the recipients. And uh, it's just an overwhelming joy to be reminded of that. It's great to be here and um, looking forward to the entire week. As I mentioned at the first hour, we're going to have a a series this uh, week beginning tomorrow night that we call When the Waves Keep Coming. And I have to say that it may not be a series for everyone. If, If you're living a uh, picture-perfect life, a wrinkle-free life. If, you're, if your actual life looks like your Instagram life, it may not be a series for you. But if the reality, uh, as it is with most people, is a little bit different than what we sometimes project, and you feel like the waves just sometimes keep on coming and you're not sure how much longer you can stay afloat, then I think it's going to be a, a series of lessons that will really, really be helpful. Well, today we're trying to focus on some things that are very, very practical, but that flow out of the gospel. Everything that we try to do, we try to, I say we, using the, uh, that reference to, to me, everything I try to do in my ministry of preaching the word, I try to flow out of, out of the gospel. And I think it's interesting, as we're going to talk about money here in a little bit, that the Apostle Paul does the same thing in 2 Corinthians when he talks about gathering together a contribution. He, he does so flowing out of the gospel, reminding us that Jesus is our example. He had everything and he gave it all away for us. And we, as his followers, should seek to do likewise in our love and generosity toward each other. So we're talking about margin and we've defined it as the space between our current pace and our limits. Earlier, we talked about how that applies to our schedule, our use of our time, And today, uh, in this second lesson, we're going to focus that on our money and how there needs to be a margin between our level of income and our spending, our outgo. What's coming in and what's going out, what we're earning, what we're spending, needs to have a gap between them. And I don't mean the kind of gap that you can acquire in today's society where it's like flipped and upside down or you're making uh, an X number of dollars and you're spending that plus 10% more because you've got a line of credit. You can keep on spending beyond your means. That's not the margin we're talking about. We're talking about the other margin where there is more coming in than there is going out and living in that margin. So uh, I'm not very good with PowerPoint and uh, this is a kind of a hokey graph, but The idea is here that uh, our income level is in the y-axis, and over here we have time. And generally speaking, as we go through life, our income increases. That obviously can have disruptions, and it's not 
a steady line throughout life. And we also know that we reach a point at some time in the future of our lives, or for some of you, you're already there, in which that income level drops significantly and you have to live off of the savings that you have accumulated over your years of of earning. But by and large, in America, in our experience, most people, as they go through life, as time travels on, we increasingly make a little bit more money. And as we go through life, what I'm arguing is that there needs to also be a spending that stays below, that it may increase as our standard of living rises because our income level is rising, but we also want, and I think increasingly so, to see a margin between the two. And that's what we're talking about, is that margin between what's coming in and what is going out. What we all know, and we talked about this in the first hour, but maybe even more so with regard to our money than our time, is that as that margin, that space between these two lines gets smaller and smaller, what happens to your family relationships? Counselors, elders, everybody for that matter knows that people's relationships become stressed out and conflict goes through the roof when the margin disappears, doesn't it? We begin to argue about the money. We begin to have stress and difficulty in what we're going to do going forward because the margin has been squeezed out. And so the big idea that I want to try to communicate in this lesson is stated very simply, that your standard of living is not equal to your quality of life. That standard of living and quality of life are not interchangeable terms. These are two very different things. Some of you know that because some of you are having and experiencing a higher standard of living now than you ever have in your life, and yet your quality of life has not risen with your standard of living. And if that's the case, it is probably because the margin between your standard of living and your quality of life and between your income and your spending has gotten smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter. The question that we need to ask is this, what if my pursuit of an ever higher standard of living is actually the thing that is undermining undermining my quality of life? What if my pursuit of a higher standard of living, my relentless pursuit of of a bigger house, a newer car, fancier clothes, finer meals, more... Exotic vacations, what if it is the pursuit of all of these things relentlessly is actually this higher standard of living is the thing that's robbing me of a quality of life. The quality of life that Brother Copeland spoke about at the, at the contribution that, that comes out of having a margin, a quality of life that Jesus wants us to experience ultimately in heaven as we lay up treasure uh, there but also experience as we have joy and peace of mind here and compliance with what God's calling us to do with our money while we're here. Those are the quality of life things that are being destroyed sometimes by our pursuit of a rising standard of living. And so what we're trying to do in this lesson is is make the point that building financial margin may lower your standard of living, and you may have to accept that, but it may raise your quality of life. 
And what you've got to decide and what I've got to decide and all of us have to come to the decision about as we go along is which would we rather have? Would I rather have that higher standard of living maybe because I value the status that it gives me or, or whatever else I, I, I think as, of being a good associated with a higher and higher standard of living is that more important to me than a quality of life? That's a big question. I can tell you from personal experience that we have, my, my wife and I and our family, experienced this struggle between these two um, often things that are held in tension between each other. When we first got married, a little bit of autobiography, when we first got married, uh, I made $148.08 a week after withholdings. So it's $200, $5 an hour, 40 hours a week, 200 bucks. And after withholdings, it was $148.08 a week. And I, I don't remember much, but for some reason I can remember that because every penny counted. And our rent at that time, we lived in a, a dump, but it was still $250 a week without uh, including utilities and other expenses, and so it was tight. There really wasn't much margin. And reality was there is... As, as young and poor college students, there wasn't a whole lot we could do about that. But we had a high quality of life and we managed somehow or other to live within our means, to be able to give some money generously. And that, at that point, we weren't, weren't saving anything. But we were able to get by and there was enough margin that we had a high quality of life. My wife graduated two years ahead of me in college, and we moved to Dallas because she got a job with Mobile Oil and their uh, accounting department in downtown Dallas at one main place, a high-rise skyscraper, and she began making uh, four times the amount of money that I had been making as a lab tech while we were going to school. And so we moved to Dallas, and we thought four times the income. There is simply no way that you can spend that much money. And so we went and bought a car. We traded in the 76 Ford Granada for a brand-new Volkswagen Fox. And the salesman, I still remember this day, said, well, you guys need to buy two cars, not one, because smart people live on other people's money. And that was our first experience with the car salesman. But we fortunately at least limited ourselves to buying one new car at that time. We moved into a really nice apartment in Las Colinas, and our standard of living rose dramatically. In fact, our income had risen four times what it had been, but our standard of living rose five times what it had been. Because earlier, the credit card companies weren't too interested in what I was making, but all of a sudden, with what she was making, they were pretty interested in us, and we found that you could, in fact, live on other people's money for a while. But we also began to notice that certain biblical passages that had really never made much sense or never really resonated with us all of a sudden started to make sense as we began to grow our debt, and the margin completely was squeezed out. Statements like Proverbs 22 and verse 7 that says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. You see, we found that we were working and prioritizing our financial values based on what MasterCard said. MasterCard said, this is what you owe. 
and we had to do what we had to do in order to satisfy Master Card. He was demanding, and he required uh, his plus interest on a regular schedule, and that became what we were working for. And some people allow themselves to get into this so deep that nearly half of every dollar they make is going simply to servicing their debts. And it could even be that some of us here this morning are still paying for shoes that are already worn out, for a vacation that's only a memory, for a phone that's already cracked to pieces, and still this is what we are owing for. And so we have to, at some point, come to a place where my wife and I did in the early 90s where we made the decision that it's better to have uh, wants than debts. It's better to have wants than debts. It's better sometimes to look at that car and say, well, I'd really like to have that car or that dress and say, that's a really nice dress or that trip and say, that'd be fun to go on that. And we want that, but you know, it's better to just want it and not have it than to have had it and now owe a a crazy amount for it plus interest. It's better to have wants than it is to have debts. Well, Jesus explains for us why it is so stressful to be controlled by a standard of living and debt slavery. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus says some in the Sermon on the Mount, most famous message ever preached, and maybe one of the most well-remembered statements within that message, he said, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Have you ever had two bosses in the workplace? you ever been in a job where you answered to to two people? It's like the worst thing ever because no two people want the same thing from you. And if you try to satisfy what this boss says he wants and you're trying to satisfy the other boss with what she wants, and you're, you're, you're pulled between the two, and you're not able to satisfy both at the same time, it's a difficult place. I've, I've talked with kids whose parents are divorced and who struggle greatly with this because mom's pulling me one way, dad's pulling me the other, and I don't know what to do. And Jesus is simply talking to us about this principle that you can't, you can't serve two different masters, two overlords who are requiring of you two different things where you have these entities pulling you in different directions. And then Jesus says he's talking about this, but then he, he, he brings it to his point of application with this statement. You cannot serve God and money. So there's your two masters, Jesus says. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve standard of living. You're going to to serve mammon in in the original, which perhaps may have had some association with the God of, of money and wealth and status. But you can't serve both of these at the same time. You've got to make up your mind which one is Lord and master in your life. You cannot serve God and money. Here's what that means practically. God says, I want you to love the poor. I want you to love the young family. I want you to love the orphan and the widow. 
which we talked about last hour. I want you, when you glean, when you harvest your fields, I want you to leave some margin in, in the corners and along the edges for, for others who are less fortunate. And all of us have had those moments, just like we talked about in the past uh, session with our time when a, a neighbor, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ asked us for a little bit of our time and we had that anxious feeling that came. And we've also experienced those same people saying, I need some help financially. And we felt that same thing rising up because we didn't have any way to do it. God says, I want you to care about these people. I want you to love these people. And I want that love to manifest itself, not merely as we talked about in the class between the two services in words, be ye warmed and filled, but do nothing about the situation. That's faith without works being dead. But rather he says, I want you to actually put your love into action by relieving the needs of this person's financial burden." God says, that's the way I am toward you, and that's the way I want you to be toward others. And so we've got one master, God, saying, love the poor. Be generous. And Visa, uh, the other master, comes along and says, not so fast. You answer to me. I don't care what God said. I'm the boss. And I tell you, you pay me first. And we find ourselves in that awkward position of the child with the divorced parents pulling them in opposite directions, and we feel like we're going to be torn in two. And I really don't think it's because Christians don't have their values right. They just somehow, as we used to get the illustration earlier, of the, the wheel just got, the car just pulls in, in a particular direction. And if we're not paying attention, all of a sudden things get out of control, and we didn't mean for them to, but it happened. And now we can't obey the Lord and be generous, which we value and want to be, because we allowed our culture and our impulsive desires in the moment to dictate to us how we would use our money until we have no margin for generosity. God says, I want you to further the kingdom. I want you to fund the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And again, we have to say, well, I can't do that because I've got debts. And my standard of living says, no, you don't. And that's another master that I'm having to answer to. And it's a terrible feeling. Do you know, wonderful things happen when we're able to obey God rather than other masters. I've used that illustration of leaving certain parts of your field unharvested for the less fortunate, and there's a beautiful story in the Bible about that, isn't there? Ruth comes from Moab, and she's got nothing but a willingness to work. And she goes out into a field that's owned by a man, man by the name of Boaz, and Boaz is doing what God said to do. And he's making sure that there's plenty left behind so that women like Ruth are able to get what they need. And it actually sparks a beautiful love story. And out of that comes David. And through David, ultimately, we're given the lineage of the Lord Jesus. Wonderful things happen when we follow the true master who has our best interest in mind rather than thinking that we have to squeeze everything out for ourselves. 
But Jesus continues in this, and he not only says you can't serve two masters, you can't serve both God and money simultaneously. You've got to make a decision as to who is your true God. But he adds in verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? And we read that and we say, what do you mean don't worry? All I do is worry. I, again, I've got bills to pay. I, I've, got, I've got creditors that are, that are calling me. All I can do is worry and I have to work overtime, which there goes my standard or there goes my margin with regard to my schedule because I've got to uphold my standard of living. Yeah, I know I have no quality of life, but this is just simply the way it is. And once more, Jesus, I know you said I can't, I shouldn't worry about these things, but I, I can't do what you tell me to do. I've got another master, and he tells me I've got to be stressed out and worried and anxious all the time. And so I can't do what Jesus said because I answer to another master. And then verse 32, Jesus says, what may be the most hard-hitting to any genuine and sincere Christian who finds himself in this situation. He says, for the pagans, and he doesn't mean that in a demeaning way. That's what they called themselves. These were people, other non-Jewish people who, who followed after idols. And he says, that's the way that they live. They run after these things. Status, creature comforts, Impulse buying, these are the ways the world works and they are filled with all the worries and anxieties that come from that. But you're different. You've got a heavenly father who provides for you everything that you need and he knows what you need and he'll take care of you. And so what you need to do, Jesus says, is simply this. You need to seek first his kingdom, making his priorities your priorities in your time, in your money, and in all of your devotion, seek him and his kingdom first and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Well, that's the lesson, but I want to make just a few practical observations and recommendations before we conclude. I want to begin by asking one question that I want to make one recommendation and then remind you of one tool that's at your disposal that can help all of this work together. First, the question is, who, who decided what percentage of your income you would live on? Who decided what percentage of your income you, you would live on? I ask that question because you're living on a percentage of your income, right? It may, you may be living on 60% of your income. You may be living on 90% of your income. You may be living on 100% of your income, and some of you are living on 110% of your income. Who decided what percentage that would be? Was it like Janice and I in our early years of marriage, the car salesman? Was it the advertisers that you saw on TV? Or is it the Pottery Barn magazine or whatever you call that that comes in? What is it that decided for you what percentage of your income you would live on? The Christian needs to answer that question, well, it was me and my spouse with open Bibles and open hearts and prayerful seeking God's kingdom principles first. 
made the decision that we would live on this percentage of our income. And I just want us to think about that. Because again, all of the forces of our society is pushing, pushing, pushing for you to live in excess of 100% of your income with no margin whatsoever left over for funding the kingdom of God, for caring for those who are needy or providing for your future. And so if you're going to have a margin, it's going to be because you made the deliberate decision to live at a level less than what is coming in. The second thing is the recommendation. And that is that you, with your spouse and in prayer, choose a percentage that you will live on going forward. And depending on where you are in life, that percentage might be a little bit different. If you are where we were, starving, struggling, young college students trying to get by, that may be a pretty small percentage for a while. But there's still, even in that situation, needs to be some margin. Because do you know where, do you know where stingy, marginless rich people come from? Old, rich, stingy, marginless people come from? They come from stingy, marginless, poor young people. That's where they come from. And do you know where generous, giving, kingdom-minded, wealthy old people come from? <laughs> they come from poor, kingdom-minded, generous, poor young people. And so the point is, while you are young is the proper time to begin learning to choose a percentage of your income to live on that is less than what's coming in so that you can acknowledge God as Lord and Master in your life. And as you move forward through time, you will find it easier and easier to live by that same principle and enjoy the freedom that Christ wants us to have in living that kind of lifestyle. It'll cost you something in terms of standard of living, but it'll be more than made up for in your quality of life. And then the third thing for all of us is to create a budget that we can track our money with. Proverbs 27, 23 says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Pay attention to what's coming in, what's going out. In an agrarian society, that had to do with having an account, having a spreadsheet for your, for your herds and flocks. We don't have herds and flocks, most of us, but we have something that we need to be mindful of. The, the, the financial picture of our life is something that we need to be on top of. We can't simply ignore it. Be diligent, the scripture says, to know these things. And then the recommendation that I make on that to people, and these are just numbers that I have in mind that, that may or may not be best for you, but pick something is the principle. Give away, I say, 10%. And that involves what we give to the Lord, what we, what we may have in reserve to give to our neighbor so that we can be generous as needed. And we just decide right off the top, whatever that percentage is for you, 10% is just a guideline, but you decide right off the top, that that first, that, that's the Lord's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that to further the priorities of the kingdom and that's his cut and the top 10% belongs to him. And then 
store up 10% because the day is coming when you're going to lose a job, when you're going to lose your health, when you're going to no longer be able to work and retirement is going to be there and we need to have prepared ahead for that. And that means that you're going to have to lower your standard of living maybe by about 20%. And at some point, it was a few years down the road before Janice and I figured this out, but we actually made the decision to sell a house, to sell a car, to get out from under those payments and that debt and move into a much smaller house and drive a much older car and live at a level that would enable us to have some margin. And so we don't have a lavish lifestyle, but we have an amazing quality of life. And just the other day, I had a college student text me up and say, I hate to ask you this, but I need a certain amount of money in order to do something that he needed to, to do. And you know, it's such a wonderful feeling. I'm not saying this to... to, to brag on me. I'm just saying to you, it's a wonderful feeling to be able to say, no problem. I budgeted for that. And here's the money and you transfer it over. And it's not some sort of an anxious feeling of how am I going to come up with this? This is a priority that you've established in your life and you've planned for, and therefore you are able to be generous. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, I want you to be doing this in advance. I want you to be laying this by in store so that it, when, I, when I show up, it won't be a matter of compulsion and me trying to drag it out of you. You've deliberately and with forethought decided how you're going to allocate your funds so that you can be a generous and cheerful giver when the opportunity arises. That's what God wants for us to do. And you know the amazing things that when you do that, you can enjoy the rest. <laughs> you can actually have so much better a quality of life on that 80% than you could have on 100%. Think about it. Would you rather live on 80% of what you make with God's blessing on that or 100% with God's blessing not on it because you've chosen to serve another master? When we put it in those terms, it seems quite obvious. But as we learned this morning earlier at the contribution, Jesus came not to improve our standard of living, but Jesus came, as he says in John chapter 10, to improve our quality of life, to give us true life. The thief, whether that's Satan or simply our culture or our impulses, do not come to, to do us good. They come to steal our joy, to kill our generosity, and to destroy our peace. But Jesus has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And we can have that in a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father who richly provides us with everything that we need if we'll trust Him and obey His way. If you're not a Christian this morning, we want to offer to you the gospel of Jesus Christ as the key to all of these kinds of things being lived out in our life. Because we're not just after a higher quality of life for a few years and then we die and then, it, and then it's over. We're, we're trying to lay up treasure in heaven, yes. But we're trying to be changed into the kind of people that God wants us to be, what God has called us to be. Um, and that is a, a generous kingdom-minded people. And that happens when you realize that Jesus is 
the one who is most blessed of all possible beings. Because as he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And who has given more than he has? And he invites us to follow him, to step in, to to take the chance of moving away from what our culture tells us is a good life into the life that he lived and the life that he calls us to, an open-handed life that freely receives from God and freely gives. And if you would come to the foot of the cross and see his love poured out for you there and be changed and begin to take up your cross and follow him to discover that though there is sacrifice, that there is this ironic thing in the kingdom of God that the more that you give out of love, the more that you sacrifice of yourself on behalf of others, the happier you become. And that is why it is more blessed to give than to receive and why Jesus is happiest of all and you'll be happier when once you let go and begin to follow his way. If we can help you in that, we know that the baptism is, is baptistry is, is ready for you and you can be baptized into Christ today and begin your journey of following the Lord all the days of your life and see that the Lord is good. If we can help you in some way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.